Hello and welcome to Shut Off That Noise. I'm Craig Redock. In this installment of the podcast, we feature singer, songwriter, and storyteller extraordinaire Heather Valley. Most recently, Heather has been recording with a small ensemble consisting of herself, Maddie Simpson on electric guitar, and Justine Fisher on bass. They've got a single out right now. It's a cover of a song by Lucero called The Last Song. It's gained major traction on a daily basis. It keeps appearing on more and more influential playlists up and down the internet. I will give you a little sample of it in a moment, but I must tell you it's just a cover, right? Uh, There is a full album of original music that Heather released last year called Desert Message, which is an incredible monument to the story of the demise of her relationship. Among other things, she will tell you about how the love of her life deceived her on the grandest of scales. Uh, In this in-depth and intimate interview, Heather tells us of her journey from the cross-country ski trails of the Canadian Shield through the high-pressure world of law and eventually how she found her way to songwriting as a means of healing herself and others. Heather has an extraordinary ability to seize a hold of the passage of time with her storytelling and her songs and hold it in her hand and bring a listener with her into this slowed-down pocket of time. It's similar to the calm in the middle of the eye of a hurricane. Even in this cover version, you will hear that uncanny ability. So I'm going to use my musical time machine to take you back to exactly a year ago when she came to my studio to uh, be interviewed and she recorded four really beautiful tracks for us to listen to exclusively for Shut Off That Noise listeners. But first, I'd like you to take a listen to this, her recent single, It's a cover of Lucero's The Last Song. Here on Shut Off That Noise, this is Heather Valley. You said you grew up in North Bay. Yeah, I grew up in Northern Ontario. Spent most of my childhood in the forest. Yeah, you, you're, you're a nature girl. You like running around the trees. and. That's how it was back then, you know? Like yeah. we didn't have a mediated childhood. So I would get up in the morning. I'd be out the door at 7 o'clock on summer vacation. And I would be outside all day. Maybe we would come in for a quick lunch. But it was either out in the neighborhood or on the pipelines that basically... Uh, lead off into hundreds of kilometers of Canadian Shield. When I was growing up there, there were about 50,000 people just over that. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people ended up leaving because it had been a tourism and um, resources town. It was like a transportation hub, transporting lumber and then other mineral resources south and people north. And there weren't really the types of jobs that, or the same array of jobs and availability so a lot of people left. I see. And I think that there are fewer people than that living there now. Really? Yeah. So it's like a bit of a ghost town? Well, it's in a holding pattern. It's not really growing with the cancellation of the Ontario Northland that made it a lot harder for people who didn't have reliable vehicles or who were aging to be able to live in that community, you know? So when you were a teenager, like that sounds like it could either be really boring or <laughs> full of crazy adventure and stuff and... Well, it's kind of a combination of the two for me because um, I took my love of nature and kind of ran with it while I lived up there. So I became a very intense 
um, cross-country ski athlete. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's like a whole other life. <laughs> it's a completely different life. I think I've lived three distinctly different lives at this point. So that was the first one. So you were a competitive cross-country skier. Yeah. And this is like in your early teens and... Yeah, so. all the way through high school. And that was like the, the, the sort of the centerpiece of your life for a while. It had to be, you know. The best way that I can describe it for people who aren't familiar with cross-country skiing is it was the same level of commitment as a swimmer would have to have. Yeah, for sure, yeah. You know? So early morning practices, training every day, my whole life was oriented around when I would be doing my training okay. within the training program. Um, but what that meant for me is that I was outside in nature all the time, exploring those trails that I was mentioning previously. I, I loved it, honestly. Part of the reason that I got into it was because it felt like I was able to commune with nature and get out and just be by myself as opposed to surrounded by people and just have those moments. You know, but you only have winter for so long. Right, okay, yeah. And so in the summertime, I would be <laughs> out in these, like, same forests, and it was a very different experience at that point, you know? <laughs> How do you simulate the gliding motion when there's no snow? <laughs> like, you just sort of run really quickly or, like, skip? <laughs> like... We actually had, um, what would we call it? It was ski walking. So we had poles that were cut down so that they would okay. be shorter. Okay. And then uh, we would use them going up the hill so that you wouldn't get your heart rate up too high so you okay. didn't want to train at a zone. And then you would jog when it was flat or downhills. But it's funny because we actually did try to simulate it. And we had roller skis as well, which we would use to ski along on asphalt roads. And we could mainly simulate what it was like to be on skis using those. I also grew up, we didn't really get anything new. So it was always <laughs> garage sales and used bookstores. And so I grew up reading the books that kids in the 50s and 40s would have grown up reading. Oh, cool. So they were all the frontier books, you know, like books about the Old West, sometimes from the perspective of an animal being the protagonist, like wild horses. And when you go back and look at those plots, especially now, because I feel like we try to protect children so much from the real cruelties of life. You go back and read what those were like, and everything is included, you know? You can, you can follow all of the major story arcs in like dramatic literature through these experiences of these animals. I believe that. <laughs> so do you live near nature now? I live really close to the Hamilton Harbor now. So I can access nature by taking the nature trails around it. Okay. But it's an interesting combination of um, industry and decay and nature. Hamilton also, I don't know, people are starting to become familiar with this, but a lot of people are surprised to hear that it's one of the waterfall capitals of Canada. Really? Yeah. There's waterfalls over the place. All so over the place. Do you go like waterfall hunting? Well, I go for like hikes. Okay. And I go and visit some of my favorite waterfalls and I go to Coots Paradise, for example, which is like a bay that extends out from Hamilton Harbor and it's kind of like a sheltered bay. Okay. And it has um, a significant number of waterfowl and a lot of different um, environment types. Okay. So you can do a four or five kilometer hike and you can find yourself essentially like traveling through all these different zones. Very cool. And you're just still within like near a city. Yeah. But it's like a 10 minute drive away from my house <laughs> to get to the beautiful. trailhead. That yeah. sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> I've never been too far from it, but I can say I'm getting back into it now because what I have been um, processing for the last few years since I left my old career and decided that I needed to focus on something that was soul renewing as opposed to destructive and like conflict-based. I used to be a lawyer, right? Yeah, we're um, gonna talk about that, yeah. Yeah, so I needed to get out of that world, which was so all-consuming, I didn't have time really to, um, you know, get into nature, make art or music. I could barely recharge myself. Recovering from that was a lot more difficult than I thought it was gonna be, but I'm at a point now where I've got the ability to get out and, you know, rediscover the things that I used to know about myself that I lost for a little while. So the way we'll do this is I'm going to checkerboard this episode between the first half of our meeting uh, of interviews and the second half where we set up some microphones and Heather performed a few songs. So here's the first one. This one's Trawler. 
and Heather will set it up for us. Tell me about the, the roots of this one. Okay, so this is the oldest song on the record and that is part of the reason I wanted it to be first to introduce um, the rest of the collection of songs. This is a song that was written, I was sitting on my couch in my living room during my old life with the person who I thought was the love of my life sitting beside me. He was strumming the guitar as I was writing the lyrics to go with, and um, I think he knew that the song was about him. This took place a couple of weeks before he got arrested at the border in front of me. Shut Off That Noise is generously sponsored by Smoke in the Water CBD and Bong Shop. Located at 2227 Dundas Street West, Toronto, Ontario. It's just south of the Dundas West Subway Station and also featuring Gord's Backroom Records. Give them a visit. Tell them that you heard about them on Shut Off That Noise and they will give you a 15% discount off anything in both stores. So it was music like... You, you told me just like on the phone the other day that you really just kind of started doing music like two years ago. That's, yeah. that, that couldn't be totally right. Like you must have had a guitar around when you were a teenager and stuff. Like I taught myself how to play guitar when I went away to university. So I didn't okay. have a guitar before that. Okay. 
And because you were so, you were just you, like you can't cross country ski and guitar at the same time. It's kind of hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you need two hands for those poles. Yeah, I know. Right, exactly. And you know, with the amount of time that I spent on sports when I was in high school and growing up, um, I just never really got into music other mm -hmm. than you know school music class in grade seven and eight. Okay. So, I became a huge fan of music, and then when I went away for school. Um, I decided I wasn't going to be focusing as much time on sports anymore. I had done what I had done, and now it was time for like a different phase of life. And I just kept getting drawn, like I was a writer first, but I was drawn to melody. And so I've kind of been slowly cultivating this in my bedroom, you know, in private spaces. Did a few open mics here and there over the years, but my first actual live performance of my own music was two years ago. Honestly, so much of it is learning to listen to your own voice and what your own draws and attractions are as opposed to the expectations that other people have and that society has for you and what they deem to be success. I, I feel like for me, um, I came to music first as a listener for therapy. Okay. So in the period of time that I was practicing law, I was in a pretty blue-collar town and I felt very isolated because I went there for the job. I didn't know anybody there and my job required a lot of time from right. me. So when I did have time off, I spent the vast majority of it on my own. And as a variety of things happened in my life that made it harder and harder to maintain that life, including, you know, abusive relationship, my mentor passing away, and a number of other really tough things, um, I found myself going to the music of one artist in particular, this guy named Jason Molina. I listened to a, a Jason Molina song, and I see the connections, definitely. You know? Right, these like lyrically driven... Um, well, your stuff is very right. narrative driven, I, I think. Anyways. Right, you know, and then that's the thing, like we were talking about the other day, um, I found a sense of um, a feeling of kinship with that music. That music made me feel not only that I was spending time with someone, even though I wasn't exactly, um, but that there was somebody out there in the universe who saw the universe in the same way that I did. And that went a long way to helping me not feel as isolated. And really, you know, that helped me get through one of the darkest times of my life, which extended for years. So when I was coming out of the other side of it, I had a massive breakdown. I lost the ability to read. I just was taken off of work by my doctor. You know, I was trying to still do it and I couldn't do it. This song is set very, very late night, February 14th, Valentine's Day of 2018. I was actually spending some time in Cincinnati recording. Um, it was a very odd time because we would sleep through the day and get up at four in the afternoon and then drive up to the north side of Cincinnati, which is kind of like a, a previously abandoned factory district. Okay. And we had a recording studio in the basement of a factory that was abandoned. And we would go and record all night and then walk around on the streets with airplane shots. So we would head back home, which was like the Ohio River, which borders Cincinnati proper, the city, and then a couple of boroughs on the north side of Kentucky. And the thing that I found really interesting about that time, I felt like I was finally following my calling for the first time, following art and music, right? And I thought that I would be surrounded only with people who had that pure-hearted intention. And I found that instead, I met some people who said one thing and maybe weren't able to fulfill the way that they represented themselves. Where the Ohio River is, as it runs across a channel that divides Ohio and Kentucky right there, the vast majority of the water is actually in Kentucky. So that's why in the song you hear me say you're a different state than you say that you're in. Yeah, I always wondered why they didn't call it the Kentucky River. Well, I guess it's pretty long, you know? Okay, <laughs> vast well, majority of it is in Ohio. Ohio, <laughs> Ohio River. 
walk to the water's edge, never high as this. Stop and drink again at the bottom stair.
Okay, so what happened was all of these things that I alluded to before um, had happened in my life. And I was trying to hold on in my practice. I was doing very well in my practice as well. So it was very confusing to me what was happening. Um, and I decided in advance of a very busy fall that I would take a trip down to Nashville and I would see one of my favorite musicians, Gillian Welch, perform at the Ryman Auditorium. Nice. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that will help renew me and I'll be able to face the fall, get through it all, and then once the busy period is primarily over, I can kind of reassess. Okay. That was what the goal was. All right. Except the trip, as wonderful as it was and as edifying as it was to see Gillian and Dave perform on stage, I didn't feel refreshed. I kept feeling more and more drained. This whole idea that I had to go back to that life right. was getting harder and harder to tolerate. I was trying to come up with alternate life plans as I was driving back up really? to the States. <laughs> so uh, that yeah. was kind of the spark for it, I guess, maybe, like that you, well, you had to get out. It certainly helped, and I think it was more subconscious than it was like top of mind for me. But um, I walked into work on the Monday morning, 7.30, sat down in my chair, and then my tickler alarm on my um, desktop computer went off saying that I had to be in court in 15 minutes. And I like kind of came to and looked at it and realized that it was 9.45. I had completely lost that period of time. I, had, I have no idea how So just like a blackout, lost. just a daydream, just yeah. time loss. It was just kind of like, you know when you feel just absolutely exhausted and you're aware that you're awake, but everything is kind of blurry? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it felt like. And then suddenly, and it was time to be in court. So I grabbed my um, file, walked over to court. It was just a cursory attendance to tell them that the case wasn't ready to go forward. And as I was looking at the material sitting in the pew at court, I could see the words. If I focused really hard, I could understand a singular word but I couldn't make my brain work to string sentences together. I just, I was just so exhausted. I couldn't do it anymore. Wow. And I felt like I was walking underwater. And so I knew it was over. I called my realtor and listed my house for sale that day. Really? And then I went to see my doctor and told her what was going on and she took me off of work and I never went back. I had a lot of student debt you know, that was one of the other things that was a heavy weight to carry. So okay. I, just because of law school, I had $100,000 worth of debt. I put myself through law school. I graduated in the top 10% of my class too, you know? So I tried very, very hard at it and I was doing very well. But it took me that entire five year period of living at basically poverty level and not spending money on anything but paying down the debt okay. to get to a point to the point that I was when I walked out. And I still had to sell my house to be able to pay the last of the debt. That's why I had to sell it. The only reason I owned a house was because it was cheaper to buy than to pay rent in okay. that town at that time. So it wasn't like your dream house? Was it, was it, was it well, big, I spent a it? lot of time working on it. Yeah? You know? Okay, yeah. So I there was some heartache it. losing your house, I guess, yeah. Really in the end, um, what happened was I lost absolutely everything I ever worked for. You know? <laughs> so when people say like, oh, this is a great story because you transitioned from a career into a non an unconventional way of existing in the world, especially nowadays, especially now with how hard music is. It's, it wasn't a decision. It was partly a decision, but it was also because I just completely broke down and couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I was never intending to become a musician either. I was in crisis. It took me about a month and a half before my heart felt like it wasn't hammering out of my chest all the time and like I wasn't having a heart attack at all times. Um, I hadn't slept more than a couple hours a night for a few years at that point. You know, I was completely messed up oh, Wow! and it was coming back to my guitar and playing songs and then starting to write songs about what I had been through. These things are pretty magical, aren't they? Right. It, it grounded me again. It's through this that I was able to find a new way of being in the world and then I realized this is what I have to do with, with the rest of my life, you know? So I guess that comes back to one of your other questions, which was, you know, why music? 
it's because music was a healer for me. I would really, I think that the best thing we can do with our time on this planet is to reduce the suffering that other people experience and help them feel like they're not alone. So that's what I would like to do, you know? So Lovejoy. Yeah. This one's also on the album? This is also on the album. All three of these are on, on the mm -hmm. CD. These ones all, by the time this episode airs, there will be music videos officially for all three of these songs. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So Ohio River, I released a music video for that at the same time the album came out. So it was November 22nd. I'm really proud of that video. It's really, really cool. Um, so they'll be available on like YouTube or? Yep. Okay. Yep. The, the one for Ohio River and the one for Lovejoy are up now. Trawler is going to come out in a couple of days. Right. So... There is a video for Lovejoy as well. It kind of came out about a month before the record came out. Okay. Just to give people a bit of an advanced taste of what things were going to sound like. Um, I chose that song to be the beacon for the record because I had released it a couple times before. Okay. There was an initial live version right after I first wrote it, sitting on the steps of my old house, you know? Um, then I released an acoustic version of it when I was down in Cincinnati. And so people knew the song, and it just felt right to me as part of this collection to just encapsulate this whole experience to do a live band version of the song as well, or full band version, I should say, of the full song as well. And I'm really happy with how it turned out. So um, encouragement to go and listen to it. But I'll play it for you with an acoustic guitar right now. This song was written about a reunion that I had with this person who I thought was the love of my life. This happened, the events that I'm describing in this song happened before Trawler was written, a few months before that, before he was arrested at the border, before I started to see the little hints that the way that he told me he was didn't mesh up in reality with who he really was. And it's named after a neighborhood in Buffalo where I drove down to meet him where he was staying, he had come up from Florida to see me as a grand gesture of his true love for me. Oh. Love joy. Love joy. Genuine, oh, 
still dream about those holy walls Soap in sheep's clothing I'll never forget your gift of illusion Have you ever been so tired of lonely? Love makes you Now that you know the background context of it, that's where it came from, you know? I grew up um, in nature, more comfortable in nature than with people, dreaming about, you know, the old west and wild horses, and then got completely off course with my life. There's a video that I saw that, American <laughs> Paint. Yeah. So that's all done in Ohio. So you spend a big chunk of your life there as well. Like, it seems like... I spent a huge amount of time there. And okay, does that the place you travel to, or did yeah. you live there for a while? Yeah, I didn't it live seems there. To, it seems to figure prominently, and, and then of course your your uh, your uh, Jason Molina is also an artist from Ohio, right? Right, right. Is that where you found out about him? Like when you traveled down there, it's like. Um, I actually found out about him at the University of Guelph. Okay. I volunteered at the radio station there, CFRU. Cool. And the first thing that you had to do as a volunteer was to reshelve the CDs that were being used in the shows. Okay. And I found this CD that just looked so interesting to me. It was um, a bluish fabric background and two little silver hearts side by side. Oh, uh -huh. okay. And it was a record called Axis and Ace. And it was the first one of his I ever heard. And it was a love, love song record. It's the only one that he ever made. Okay. Everything else was about life, life lessons, and the eternal struggle he had with his depression that he referred to as the blues. Um, and I just fall in love with his way of uh, using music to encapsulate his message. It had um, very intense moments, moments of silence. He plays with both of those things. There's a sparseness and a lushness, mm -hmm. you know? And that, way back when, was my first introduction to him. And then his music sort of figured in and out of my life for a while before it became a very prominent fixture when I really needed it, when I was going through my dark times. But I hadn't really, like I lived on the North Shore of Lake Erie. He grew up on the South Shore of it. Lots of his music is about the Great Lakes and the pulse of the Great Lakes and these like huge natural bodies and these experiences that almost help us to recognize our place in the universe as not being as big as humans like to think we are. You know? <laughs> um, there's also a spiritualism and a magical realism to the way that he viewed the world and rep represented it in his music and I feel that myself as well. So... I found him living in Canada, and then because of that connection, I kept finding myself drawn to Ohio. And um, a lot of the reasons I went there were associated with meeting other people who were similarly inspired. Mm -hmm. So I went down there to record because I'd met some people who were fans of Jason Molina. The first two songs I released last year that are very simple acoustic songs, one of which has a beautiful pedal steel performance on it by Mike Brenner. Um, those were done in Cincinnati, 
I met Mike Brenner through my connection to Molina as an influence. Brenner had worked with Molina for years. Oh, wow. He's now okay. become a close friend and a collaborator. Great. So we worked on this record of just release together for the last year and a half or so. Um, and then I've been to Ohio a couple times to see Songs Molina, which is the rest of Molina's band who get together to honor him by playing his okay. songs. And a couple of other things because I've made friends there along the way, you know? People in the States are amazing people, you know? Up in Canada, sometimes I think it can get obscured by um, stereotypes. But when you're on the ground dealing with people directly, I love Americans. How do you love again? Like, how do you hit the reset button on your heart? I honestly, do I don't know if you can. I think that, um, I don't think that love is a, a unitary thing. I think that there are so many different ways to love people, even within the world of romantic love. Yeah. I don't know that I'll ever be able to love someone in the same way that I loved him. You know, the thing that was the hardest for me was I know how genuine my feelings were. I don't know what part of this was real love for him, what part was obsession or control or any other number of awful things. It certainly made me more cautious. It, this has been a process, you know. Um, everything I go through and have gone through in my life um, has helped to contribute to the way that I look at the world. Um, I think I'm a lot more cautious in certain ways, but I don't think that you can completely hold yourself back. You know, what's the point of living if you're not willing to live fully? I've been working on a lot of songs lately for the next record, and one of the ideas that I keep coming back to is um, that really so much more of that is about the type of person that I am. You know, you can allow yourself to be a victim, and sometimes you can't control that, but you can try and take power back out of the situation. And I do that by naming it and talking about it publicly. And um, I'm trying to do that as well by recognizing that there's a lot of beauty that I'm capable of and not allowing this to completely scar me. But, you know, as I say, every day is a struggle. Every day is process. Some days are two steps forward. Some days are one step back. This is a song that I think is um, indescribably beautiful, and it's one of my other major influences, Gillian Welch. Okay. So this is a song called Dark Turn of Mind, and without further ado, I will play it for you, okay?
I want to thank Smoke in the Water and Gord's Backroom Records for sponsoring this podcast, and a big thank you to Heather Valley for being my guest and for waiting an entire year to hear the results of our interview. Until next time, I'm Craig Riddock, and you've been listening to Shut Off That Noise. Oh, there is this one.